1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Academic Life, a podcast channel on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Gessler, and today we're talking to Dr. Carrie Ann Johnson about her work on Whisper Networks, which was recently published in The Conversation. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much for being here and for your work on Whisper Networks, which we're going to dive into in a minute. Before we do that, will you please tell us about yourself?
0: Yes, I um, recently graduated with my PhD from Iowa State University. I'm currently a postdoc um, scholar in, in the sciences, where I get to help women figure out how to be safe and thrive when they um, become faculty in STEM. And I'm just excited to be here and talk about Whisper Networks.
1: I am so glad that we get to talk about it. Uh, much like its name, it is something that is not talked about. How did you get interested in learning about and writing about Whisper Networks?
0: thank you i began studying whisper networks in 2017 during the trial of harvey weinstein and the online me too movement which of course started earlier but when it exploded i i was in a organizational communication course and i heard the term whisper network and so i went to the libraries and the scholarly journals and looked it up and no one was talking about it so i went to my professor and said I'm interested in doing this paper for your class. Does this sound like something that you would be interested in reading about? And she leaned up on her desk and she said, this isn't a paper for my class. This is the rest of your life. And so I started my dissertation. Um, She was my major professor from that point on. and, um, And so far, it's so good.
1: Can we define for listeners what a Whisper Network is, please?
0: Yes, a Whisper Network is a hidden network women use and also non-binary um, people use to share information about sexual harassment below the surface of formal reporting or even being seen by the formal organization.
1: And what would lead people to use a whisper network?
0: That's such a good question. And the answer is, is complicated. Um, people use whisper networks for different reasons. Um, one misperception I think about whisper networks is that people use them because they're not brave enough to report formally. But one of the most important things I have learned is that people use whisper networks. Often people who use whisper networks are in more powerful positions, but they've learned that reporting formally isn't going to get anything done. It's not going to protect the people who they watch over or care about. And so they start, they use whisper networks to prevent people from getting sexually harassed or to share information that they experienced badly so that others don't get in the same situation. Um, Almost everybody I talked to was more than happy to report formally, but they, through experience or um, they just know that that's not going to work all the time. Um, So people turn to Whisper Networks (laughs) because they're unsafe, because the, the reporting system often ends, the, ends up in a place where people are in more danger, or where they're not going to be taken seriously, or questions will be asked about their morality. Um, and people don't want that. We have other things to do.
1: <laughs> who is typically looped into a whisper network? And who is typically left out?
0: I'm still in the process of researching that. Um, one thing that kind of came to light, I talked to a couple people who had less experience with whisper networks, but they were willing to talk to me because the little interaction they had had in, in whisper networks had worked, but they had often in their lives been left out. And I found that women who maybe don't fit into The gender norm, or who don't, who might be a little brash, who might be neurodivergent, um, often can get left out. Um, Any population who isn't part of the majority of a workplace is at at much higher risk of probably needing the whisper network, but not being able to find it. So if you're in a predominantly white um, institution, and you are a Black woman, it's less likely that you're going to get the protection that you should have. There are
1: rules to whisper networks, are there not, that what you share is assumed to be confidential and will only be discreetly and carefully shared, and that it's almost shared in a shorthand? Is that right? Yes. I.
0: That is... Something that I think is really important Um, when we share sexual harassment information We kind of expect people to know what to do with it and to keep it in the whisper network until We're ready to share it Um, often. We're sharing information that we got secondhand like um, Alexis had this run-in with this professor. I don't want you to have the same problems. So don't go to coffee with him Um, and so what we tell each other in the whisper network is often meant to stay just to protect you, not to make any kind of report. Um, And so the expectation is that people will understand the shorthand and that they will keep it to themselves. Um, One really interesting thing I collected was the words we use to share whisper network information um, that aren't actually saying anything beyond if you don't know what it means then then you might be in trouble
1: i was curious about that because at times when a, a person has had a bad experience with a, a male colleague there can be pushback from some of the other women that you knew or everyone knew and she didn't <laughs> so how, how is the information sometimes not clear? And are there some of it's nonverbal? Is that correct? Absolutely.
0: One of my participants shared a story. She had had whisper network experience from the time she was very young. And so she was really well tuned into it. By the time she got to, she was working a temp job. And, and, when one of the men in the office came up to ask and said, Hey, can I give you a ride to your car? She over his shoulder saw the secretary just look up for a second and shake her head really fast and then go right back to work. And she said, no, I'm good. Thank you. I have the ride I need. And just in that one quick, almost imperceptible action, the, the secretary who worked there helped her stay safe from somebody who wanted to to hurt her. And so it can be very imperceptible. If you don't know what you're looking for, another participant talked about a lady in her office who just always knew what was going on. And she would watch her kind of roll her eyes when somebody would come into the office. And, um, and she quickly learned after not picking it up the first time that it's because this person was in there to, you know, make trouble.
1: So you did a dissertation-length study of this. It was your dissertation and you conducted a lot of interviews and many of the women needed to remain anonymous. How do you find women who are willing to talk and how do you handle such a sensitive topic?
0: Oh, that is a great question. Um, One of the things I faced when I was trying to get my proposal passed um, was that concern. People were worried that that women would not be willing to talk to me about whisper networks. But what I assumed and ended up being right about was that it can be really hard to talk about sexual harassment or sexual assault, but w- but talking about whisper networks isn't so hard because that's the heroic act. It's the thing that we do to protect each other. And so people are more than actually happy to talk about the ways that they have helped other people or been helped by other women. And in that, often they can talk about their sexual harassment experience because we all need healing and we all need people to see us and to acknowledge our experiences. But using the Whisper Network lens allows us to step back away from the trauma and actually just talk about our experiences in a way that leaves room open to share our truth.
1: So many of the formal reporting networks are re-traumatizing and are dehumanizing. Do you want to talk about
0: that a bit? (sighs) Yeah. Um, Let me think on that for a minute. Uh, Let's move to the next question. And 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 hopefully I can come back to that. I just need to think about it for a minute. I'm thinking
1: about how the whisper networks restore agency and allow women to protect each other in a way that formal reporting networks don't and how women can create almost a care network. I didn't want her to get hurt. It was important that I warned her in the whisper networks, women take back agency. And it sounds like that's what opened up a lot of conversations. Did they share that sense of being in it together?
0: Yes. Okay. I kind of understand what you're looking for now. Um, so formal reporting systems, um, do re-traumatize people they have to share their story, they have to be questioned about whether they what they went through is real or whether um it's important enough or bad enough to to take action on. Um, One of my participants talked about she she actually ended up formally reporting because of information she got through or she received through the Whisper Network. A bunch of her colleagues had had a bad experience with a person she had worked with in the past and they were talking to her and found out that she had recordings um, of him being inappropriate online because they had worked on papers together. Um, four tenured professors had reported this guy and were disbelieved. They didn't have enough proof there that nobody was going to look into it and she could offer the proof. Um, and of course that just brings up so many feelings of fear. And, and what if, and am I going to ruin somebody's life? And what are people going to say about me? These are the kinds of questions she was asking herself. She decided to report formally and got a call from um, the Title IX office who, who said, asked if she had any more proof. And she said, you have four tenured professors telling you this. My proof should be shouldn't even be needed. Um, and so, so that's five women who were traumatized by trying to report and being asked questions and having their experiences called into question. And, and then knowing that that's going to be made public because that's how title nine reports work. Um, it, it was terrifying and they were completely re-traumatized, but also, When they would meet up at conferences or whatever, they could talk and figure out that their experiences were real and commiserate with each other. Um, I found that whisper networks are a huge source of sense making, which is the way we make sense of the world. Um, And so through even so formal reporting, traumatizing, but the whisper network as a care network absolutely gives hands the power back to women. To share their stories.
1: Another difference with whisper networks, if I'm understanding it correctly, is you don't have to name the person. If you want to warn someone, you can say, my friend, and not give any identifying details, had a really bad experience with this guy. And they can tell from your tone, from your urgency, from your facial expression, maybe from fear or concern in your eyes, that you've been entrusted with a very with a story that you feel passionately about and you don't want this to happen to someone else. And you're not going to go through an interrogation in order to offer protection to another woman.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think that's, yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> um, often we, and we don't question it because we've all been through those experiences. And I say we all kind of liberally, uh, you know, sprinkling that around. But even statistics for formal reporting show us that um, nearly all women will go through some kind of sexual harassment in their life and often before they've reached adulthood. Um, And so learning how to help each other, I think, is part of navigating womanhood from the get-go. And and so... (laughs) So some of these words that that were that I was able to pull out of stories were like he's skeevy or he is uh, problematic. Um, don't don't close the door when you go in with him. He'll say inappropriate things. And we don't say you know he you, you don't you don't give the details. You use the code words that say listen. I'm telling you something important. And from that they know that. Um you care enough to have shared information.
1: You spoke earlier about how it's the whisper network loops in whoever is considered to be sort of the, the dominant uh, numbers in the group. So if it's a place where there's a lot of white women, they they will start looping each other into the into the network. Are you able to conduct a study? That looks at how whisper networks spring up against people who are twice marginalized?
0: Yeah, intersectionality, I think, is going to be a major part of what needs to be researched. Um, and I'm aware of my privilege and restrictions as a researcher, so I would never reach into that without having a partner who has gone through that and who would know the different, the differences in the terminology people use or, um, you know, inputs. And so I'm hoping to continue it. I, I'm currently just looking and talking to people, seeing if there are partners out there who might be able to, to work with me. Um, it's going to be slightly easier to find, uh, possibly like people in the LGBT community, because that's a community I work with a lot more often. And I think any twice marginalized person or three or four um, will have had a different experience. But I think studying what they go through is very valuable. Um, I'm just barely getting to that point where I can start thinking about that again.
1: In your research, you had a pool of women that you, that you spoke with, they weren't all in academia. Some of them had, one example you had is someone who worked in a, in a bar. Did you find overall the concerns that women were facing were the same? Often when people have a horrible time in academia, they say, well, I'm going to go anywhere has to be better than this. Um, but Anywhere with power dynamics is going to need a whisper network. So I'm wondering if the whisper networks function the same way across environments, and if women were using
0: them because of the same kinds of uh, scares and concerns. That is a great question, and the answer is yes. They the they are functioning um, across all all organizations that have power structures. I talked to women who had used the Whisper Network in their congregations or with their church, Um, women who worked in um, retail or the service industry, uh, people in finance, people in the law profession, um, and just universally, unfortunately, Whisper Networks are needed in every single one of them. And the way that people use them in each of each of those different places is quite similar. So you might, so the bartender I talked to would share information with women when they were rolling silverware together. They they put that they talked they talked about that specifically. Um, another woman who was kind of a leader of a women's organization in her church said that she would just kind of take somebody aside whenever she knew they were going to this place where she experienced sexual harassment and just say, "Eh, you know, stay back a little bit. He's probably going to reach out and try and like touch you. (laughs) And, and, but it was all, um, shared and whisper. Okay. So I'm going to back up just a minute. Whisper is a little bit deceptive because whisper networks hardly ever are done in a whisper. (laughs) It's just a way to say it's behind the scenes. So none of these people were whispering. They were just talking behind (laughs) the scenes. Um, And, and, or as you said earlier, using nonverbal, um, cues Q- to share that with each other. Did I answer the question? <laughs> I think so.
1: I think women have had to come up with so many ways to share information with each other in ways that still keep them safe. There's a urge in a whisper network to help keep other women safe. But the person who shares the information must always be trying to keep herself safe as well. There can be hits to her reputation. Um, She can be accused of having revenge motives. The list of reasons that we have to discredit a woman are, they'd take up the whole podcast. Correct. Um, And so, Whisper can be speaking in a low tone of voice. It can be speaking in a space where there isn't someone of another gender. It can be speaking in a space where the perpetrator is not. It's a way of keeping it hopefully within the group that needs the safety information without putting any of them at further risk.
0: Yes, yes.
1: But that necessarily leaves out people who are not considered part of the in-group, for and it can also leave out women who aren't necessarily good at making friends, the person who is more shut off. So if they're rolling silverware with the others, they may not be close enough to the person who's speaking to hear all of what's being said.
0: Yeah. Um, I honestly, if if my research goes it, according to all of my dreams, we would never need to use a whisper network again, and I would have to find a new thing to study. Um, because that would mean that organizations had actually taken the responsibility to take care of all. Because um, whisper networks can only do what they do. And I can't even encourage women to expand their whisper networks. Um, because trust is such a big deal. And so if you have a reason not to trust somebody, you're already experiencing that through the sexual harassment you're facing. Um, It would be wrong to victim blame people who have been sexually harassed and say you need to tell more people if they don't feel safe to do so. So it's tricky.
1: So it sounds like the thing we can do is encourage every woman to get in one yeah. while we can't, we can't ask people to make their whisper networks large because then you do lose control of where the information is going. And while the secretary in your early example was an ally, she was shaking her head. She could easily have been someone who was collecting information for her boss and making things worse for people. So you have to suss out really who are the women just because they're women doesn't mean they're on your side or that they're not going to use the information that, that you shared to further protect themselves. We can't make a blanket statement that all women are here to help each other. I wish we could. Um, but we can't. So what I hear you saying is what we want to do instead is to encourage everyone to have an ally at work, to work, to find one, to work, to have a, a, a whisper network of their own, because if you are fully outside all of this, you're losing the protection system that most workplaces, whether it's an academia or you're working at a bar or you're working at a library, put 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 in place because the system itself won't do it for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes you might hear a woman say something like, I'm not like other women. Maybe it would be important to not say that. Um that alienates people who could potentially, you know, love you, care for you, um, share information with you. Uh, Yeah, don't throw other women under the bus. In fact, one of the questions I asked during my dissertation was, how do you know when somebody is safe to share Whisper Network um, information with? And and I got all sorts of just brilliant feedback from that. Um, They watch how they treat other people in the office. Do you treat other people well? Um, They watch how they treat those who would be beneath them in the structure. Um, If you treat people well, you're just more likely to get whisper network information. Um, The bartender I talked about gave one of the best... um, answers to that. Cause, and she said, I watch for how they talk about other women. <laughs> and I just thought, okay, you're a genius. <laughs> um, that seems like a really good way to suss out who is safe. Um, and so a, Figure out what you watch for when you are looking to trust somebody. When you're looking for somebody to trust, um, it's better if we can say those things out loud because then we have a guideline for who we're trusting, um, who we're looking for, and it just makes our lives a little bit easier. But also, avoid being a woman who talks badly about other women. It leaves you at such a risk, and and it's unnecessary. And um, that doesn't mean don't share information. If you know somebody's unsafe, it means don't go around bad-mouthing women as a whole or um, your coworkers who maybe you feel like you're not like them. Um, Watch, find ways that you're like them. Be better to each other.
1: (laughs) We rely on a high level of EQ, emotional intelligence or social emotional awareness to to be safe because systems don't protect um, everyone. They're designed to protect a very small subset. Do you have hope for systemic
0: change? That is a rough question. Um, Yeah. I don't think I could do this work if I didn't have hope. Um, I don't think you can do any any work around toxic culture if you don't have hope um do i have hope for my immediate future do i have hope for my children's futures (sighs) i don't know i don't know the answer to that i want to have hope and that might have to just be enough for now
1: (laughs) wyndham hotels and resorts makes travel possible for all When we deal with ways people are harmed, it takes a it takes a toll on the researcher. Were you given advice on how to care for yourself? Often, grad students are driven either internally or by their department or a unfortunate combination of both. How were
0: you able to sustain through this work? I love this question so much. Thank you for asking it. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, I was given great advice i my my major professor uh, studies bullying and so she was a great resource when I would feel a little overwhelmed. Um, I work with other people who cared about my project so if I wanted to talk or be cheered on honestly so so much of the time you just need somebody to cheer you on, I could talk to colleagues. Um, I also came into this as an older academic. So I started my PhD when I was 40. And so I had had some life experience and built up a, a network of people to care about and to be cared for um, throughout my life already. Uh, but if I, if I don't focus on the network I had, um, self-care was still very vital. Uh, I could do about one interview a day if I, maybe, there were times I needed to take a whole week off after doing an interview that was particular particularly difficult and just say, my dissertation will get done. I'm not going to push it today. I'm going to go down and get a peanut butter sandwich and some water and, um, you know, dance to some RuPaul or whatever. Um, I just think that... It's really important to give yourself time and space and love for the work that you're doing because it is, it is very difficult to um, have all of those stories that you know are true verified.
1: And one real danger people face when they do compassionate work is
0: compassion burnout. Were you cautioned against compassion burnout? in that organizational communication course I talked about at the front of the podcast, I, she definitely warned us against, um, burnout. Um, while I was doing it sometimes, and I'm not sure this is acknowledged very often, sometimes compassion builds on itself. And so there is burnout, but also I was talking to people i cared about i i didn't know them but i cared about them and the exchange of information the exchange of care the exchange of um stories the exchange of shared experience um also built me in ways that i couldn't have foreseen
1: often when we finish our dissertation we are just worn out from it we're we need to take a break from it you're not too far out the other side. Is it too soon
0: to ask you if you want to turn this into a book? It is not too soon, but I want to just fully acknowledge what you said. I have been utterly shocked by the recovery time and space this has taken um, to finish. I did not expect, I mean, even though people told me it would be (laughs) a long recovery, I I did not expect it to be as long and as arduous as it actually has been. Um, When you finish your dissertation, just plan six months of caretaking and love and joy because, boy, you're going to need it. So that information out of the way, I am totally planning to turn this into a book and, um, and a series of other things that um articles are already in the works, and um, I think there's a lot to be said. So I'm hoping for some collaborations. I will definitely write a book. Um, it's just such an important topic that isn't being highly discussed in academia, but I think it's vital.
1: We spoke a little bit off air about difficulties in talking about something that isn't as credible in in academia. There are certain topics where if you tell someone you're researching it or you're writing a book about it, people say, oh yeah, I'm I'm so interested in that. And there's others where there's just kind of some silence that greets you when you say what it is that you're writing about. And then there are some things that have a taboo around them. Is that a difficult space to negotiate when you continue your work on Whisper Networks?
0: So far, it has not been terrible. Um, I think the thing that was the most difficult was convincing my committee that people would talk to me. Um, Hmm. Ask that one more time.
1: Well, it was a little bit of a thought cloud, so uh, it was probably a badly (laughs) worded question. Um, I mean... It's difficult, the, the things particularly that have to do with women, that particularly have to do with marginalizing women and marginalizing people, um, are the ones where there's less support for making all the quiet parts out loud. This topic itself is compounded by the part of it where the women are relying on the quiet parts not being made too loud that seems like a difficult thing to navigate that you were navigating the entire time during the dissertation and that you'll be navigating through every article
0: and in the book as well. Yes. Um, I went through when I decided to pursue this topic, I definitely took some journaling time. And I say that like it was a one and done months of journaling time, walks, talks, Thoughts, conversations, trying to figure out if by sharing this information I could cause harm instead of helping people understand. And so, when I finally got to the point where I was crafting the research questions and crafting the interview questions, I had I fi- had figured out a way where I could sit peacefully in it. Um, I don't try and share people's sexual harassment stories straight up. I think it's really important to let them own their own stories. Um, But what we share in a whisper network is often something we're already willing to say out loud. And um, I think it's very, very important for organizations of all types to know that just because they don't know about it doesn't mean no one knows about it when you, by the time an organization hears about harassment, it has been well discussed behind the scenes. And so instead of just trying to pretend like nothing is happening, we need to change. Um, And so I think that's kind of my point in talking about it and trying to avoid harming uh, um, systems that are protecting us is just saying this exists. We can't deny it exists anymore. So Be better. Find better ways of dealing with sexual harassment because half of your population, you know, um, already knows what's going on. You can't pretend to be surprised. Every woman in your organization knows what's going on. And so hopefully through this research, some of the myth of we can keep this quiet will go away.
1: And some of the taboo of talking about it, do you think,
0: too? Yeah. Okay. So I don't think there's a lot of taboo among women. I don't think there's a lot of taboo in the Whisper Network. I um, I was listening to a, a, an interview that someone gave that said, you know, sexual harassment is real when women can just drop an abuse story over lunch. And when they said that, I thought of all the times. I just discussed with friends um, big trauma over a plate of chicken. Um, I don't think in the Whisper Network much is taboo. And so the taboo comes in when we have to convince the organization that what we have experienced is real or have, if a woman has to say, yeah, I was drinking and I was still Assaulted. Um, the taboo comes in the questions that were asked and not in the story itself. We are sharing these stories already, often, not always, but um, even the nodding, I think in the nodding over lunch, we see the stories, even if they're not sharing them. Um, and so the taboo looks different at different stages of sharing our experiences
1: and the place where it's most enforced is when you use the formal reporting networks if you tell the police if you go to hr if you try to make a title IX complaint
0: yeah because if you're if you're sharing it in the whisper network and the woman comes back at you with questions you realize quickly that you're not safe um if if she defends the person that you have warned against in in any way, several of my participants talked about why they wouldn't share Whisper Network information, and it often came from things like that. She um, is too close to the perpetrator. She um, just looked at me like I was a terrible person. Um, these are the kind of things that shut the story down, and um, so. So in the Whisper Network, yeah, you're going to get traumatized in formal reporting, but in the Whisper Network, you can shut the conversation down as soon as you see that there's a risk.
1: One of the things I wondered, because you spoke with so many women and you collected so many stories, if you as the researcher taking a step back and looking at the commonalities of these stories... If you saw certain common characteristics in predators or certain common behavior patterns in the predators, I'm just thinking of listeners right now who may not have a whisper network and they want to avoid um, something bad before it happens. Are there any red flags that you notice that you might be able to share with listeners?
0: That is a great question. And the answer is, unfortunately, no, there are not Um, predators are, can be educated, not educated. They can be professional, not professional. They can be good looking, not good looking. They can be well communicated, communicative or not communicating. Um, they could have um, people talked about people having families or people who talk about their wives and children all the time. And there is just no way of, you know, sussing that out before Before you know. And that is one of the reasons that whisper networks are so important. That's depressing. It is so depressing, right?
1: It just sounds like they have boundless creativity in how to gain victims.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. That's exactly what I mean, that's it's ugly, beautiful, but that's exactly it. They're just people who have worked the system to their benefit for so long
1: and in many cases the system will bend to their benefit you had an example earlier of professors who were ostensibly credible to their university their university had gone through their dossier to hire them and keep them and they're speaking out and yet the university is dragging along a title IX and doing this full-blown investigation and then coming back to the student saying, well, do you have any more witnesses? Do you have anybody else who can speak? And what more do you need than four professors um, <laughs> saying this? So the, the institutions themselves seem to bend towards the predators.
0: That is absolutely the truth. Um, and it is highly unfortunate that I think is one of the hardest parts of doing this work is, is just seeing how often a predator is given second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth on ad infinitive um, chances. And the the person who is being hurt is often driven out of the organization.
1: There is a place on social media for almost a whisper network. People can share information and then without naming names, they can give sort of an idea of where you might encounter this person or explain something that they went through. And then it's clear that only people in their close circle can DM them for more information. And what comes out in some of these sharings is academic spaces that aren't necessarily on campus where Whisper networks are vital. One is conferences. Academic conferences are overwhelmingly held at hotels, which I don't understand. Um, and that just opens up even more opportunities for predatory behavior.
0: Yes. Um, I'll, I'll share a story that one of my one of the people I interviewed talked about Um about a conference because I think you're you're well you're completely correct inappropriate action and behavior happens all the time at conferences. Um, one of them was a that I one of the people I talked to was a graduate student and during the introduction the like the onboarding to the graduate school they were given information about. Um, conferences and being careful and watch out for people who might, you know, be sexually harassing. And the person who was giving the the lesson made a kind of a joke like, well, but we all know who they are. And so it came back around and one of the graduate students said, well, can, how do I know who they are? And the, and the person giving the presentation just said, well, we just all know who they are and kind of skipped over that whole thing. And, um, and so I think we need to also assume that maybe people don't have all of that information or that student really easily could have just been invited to say, come stay after and we'll talk. Um, I can't share that information formally. Um, but to be laughed off, just, it makes so many problems, um, even in the whisper network, because how do you trust that person who just laughed at you um, to give accurate or important information?
1: And they just othered you more Yeah, because everybody who's in on it is going to be protected.
0: Yep. And and as grad students, you're already so awkward and so tired and so hustling for acceptance. And, and so that's such a vulnerable time. That story really broke my heart. I'm thinking
1: back to your earlier information that if you're in a whisper network and you share about a predatory person and the women that you're sharing with says, oh, he couldn't do that. I, I know him and he's X, Y, and Z kind of greatness. If you are in a Whisper Network and that happens to you, that person just confirmed that they're a predator because predators always have carefully groomed character witnesses. Yes, they And do. that woman who's defending him is actually speaking her experience of him because he groomed her. Okay. He probably did everything that she's listing. He probably came to her aid at a time of great need, knowing that she would be a permanent character witness for him. So she lived that experience. My mom was sick and he's the one who set up the food um, caravan to come. And he checked on me twice. He brought me flowers when I came back to work. She's telling the truth. (laughs) And he did that on purpose to groom character witnesses so that he, it's even further disbelieved the worst stuff that he does and he can carry on even more he's got this shield this built-in shield
0: yes yeah i i i would like to hear that story sometime i i i know you're right like i don't question that you're right in every single way i didn't hear a story like that but it is you are correct. (laughs) Um, One story that I did hear that, that aligns with that a little bit is um, what this was at a law firm. One person's boss would talk about his wife and kids and show pictures and then invite said person over to his house to meet them. And then they were toast because that person, then he would start saying things like, well, my wife and I aren't getting along, or I'm having all this trouble. And they were they were already caught in the web. They knew the family. They they cared about him, and um, so that character witness, um, people automatically using their wife and kids as character witnesses is. I heard more than one story about that.
1: I'm thinking back to your conference example. It sounds like we need to have a buddy system at conferences. you just tying that together. What what you what you just said about a web the predators do spin webs the institutional systems allow have ample gray areas where webs can be put and
0: it's,
1: so it's harder to get stuck in a web if you have a buddy system if you have somebody with you yes yeah
0: i, I and and uh yeah there would be a, it would be great to just set those up. Plus, that would be a great networking opportunity. Right. Like, like, yeah, let's uh, reach out to conferences. Let's set this up. I think that that is so real and so important. And again, conferences, once you've been on the circuit for a hot minute, aren't so scary. You already know so much of it. But grad students are scared and they're nervous and they they feel the full weight of being public and, and being seen. And yeah, pairing up a senior conference goer with a, a, a newer conference goer um, could serve many purposes. I think that's a genius idea.
1: You said earlier uh, revelations coming out of the movie industry are what inspired you to look into Whisper Networks. Part of what came out in those early stories were the number of meetings that were held in hotel rooms. At academic conferences, a number of meetings are held in hotel rooms. Job interviews, um, even talks with presses um, can happen um, for space functional reasons. Um, but it is it is a problematic setting. Did anyone talk in your interviews about problematic settings?
0: Um, yeah, what you're saying is totally true, and, um, and you're right. Uh, that there are problematic settings and we already know them. Um, Several students talked about a drinking culture where they would go out drinking with the professors or um, and have to end up babysitting them or, you know, putting up with their, the crap, the harassment or the bullying or, or even the inappropriate comments um, because, because of, because in a culture where you're supposed to drink with people who have power over you is really scary. Um, so that's a problematic space. Uh, anywhere that you're going behind closed doors, even <clears throat> I know a lot of my male friends who who do one-on-one uh, work with students, like if they're going over a paper or whatever, um, you know, make the point of leaving their door open to just avoid any indication that they might be somebody who is problematic. Um, We need to practice leaving doors open. Um, We need to practice having somebody, you know, asking somebody to be in the building with you. Uh, And I'm not talking about victims. I'm talking about people who don't want to be seen as predators. (laughs) Um, Find ways to hold yourself accountable so the person you're talking to doesn't have to
1: It also seems that whatever the purpose of that meeting is will go much better when all parties feel safe for being at the meeting.
0: Right? Yeah. If if I can feel safe, you're going to learn so much more about me than if I have to be guarded. Um, If you're working on a paper with me and you keep the door open, we can just talk and I don't have to worry about if somebody sees me coming out of a closed off your closed office, right? We can actually talk about the thing we're there to talk about.
1: And the power dynamics um, shift in those situations. If you invite someone into your space and then you close the door, you've increased
0: your power dynamic. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, and I think recognizing that, like, you might just be a nice person. You might just be trying to. Keep them safe. Whatever. Realize where your power is, and avoid situations where you're where you could make that worse. I think we could probably use a lot more training on that when we enter situations where we will be managing people. Um, that would be a good class to teach.
1: <laughs> and when our role shifts, by the time you finish grad school, you have been in the student space since pre-K. Yeah, that's that's been your title. You may become an older student, you may become a student with more degrees, you may become a become a student who's finding their first gray hairs, but you are still a student. So the power dynamic is still weighted against you. Once you finish school at whatever level you you decide to leave school, whether you reenter then as the teacher or the professor or the head of the lab, or you go into an, a non-academic job, uh, you now have the power. It it may not be the most powerful job at that place, but you now have more power than you've ever had.
0: We're not really trained to be mindful of that shift. <laughs> no, or even how to make it. Um, when you were talking about the, the post-dissertation funk, I'll call it, um, <clears throat> I also have found changing from student mentality to, um, manager mentality to be more of a struggle than I planned on because I had done management work before I came to grad school. Um, but you do get so used to acquiescing or, um, being in awe of other people. Um, I think it would be really useful to say, oh, now there are going to be people who feel that way about me and, And then make that adjustment and make sure you're checking it all the time. What do you hope this episode sparks for listeners? I would like listeners to think about the ways that um, they might be able to change the system a little. If you're working at a bar, how can you make um, talking about sexual harassment a more open topic. How can you move your employees all to the side of us against sexual harassment instead of one part of us against another part of us? Um, one of the people that I cited a lot in my dissertation, Dr. Doherty talks about that a lot. How do we move the entire organization to being us against sexual harassment instead of divided, um, saying some people are sexual harassers and some people are not. Um, I would like people to think about how they talk about other people and why that might leave them out of whisper networks. Um, Come up with really solid ways to network and care and enjoy your colleagues instead of getting caught in that rat race of competition and proving ourselves. I think that's such a danger, um, But so tempting, uh, especially in systems that are set up for us to compete for resources and attention. Um, But that, in the end, will not serve you as well as having colleagues (laughs) and people who you enjoy and trust. So when you feel that competitive urge to put somebody else's research down or talk bad about um, somebody vulnerable Just don't. Stop. (laughs) Find ways to believe women. Find ways to um, find men who are good allies. Uh, I was lucky enough for one year of my graduate school, uh, my graduate experience to be in an office where my male colleague and, you know, my work at home. I didn't even have to remember that feminism mattered because they were such safe and strong and good allies. So I wasn't the only one fighting the feminist fight. Um, We can make this happen, but it's going to take thought and training and emotional intelligence, as you said earlier.
1: Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Carrie Ann Johnson, and telling us about your work on Whisper Networks. I'm Dr. Christina Gessler. This is The Academic Life on New Books Network. I hope you will please join us again.